I'd like to read to you a passage that I'm going to speak from this morning. Before I start, let me just say Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's good to see everyone this morning. Those watching us by live stream, we're glad you are with us in this wonderful time to celebrate the birth of our Savior coming into the world, God becoming flesh. I want to read to you Philippians chapter 4. I want you to look at verse 10, and I'm going to read down to verse 20. I just uh, wanted to talk about this this morning because you're going to hear me read this. And you're going to say, wow, Rod, a Christmas passage? Really? Is this really a Christmas passage? Let's read it. Well, I'll read it. You just listen and follow along. Philippians 4.10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have everything I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Andy Williams wrote a song. Fortunately, we don't sing it here but it was a song called The Most Wonderful Time of the Year. And I was listening to it, in fact, on the way in this morning, I heard it. And I kept thinking, as I've been thinking about this song, not just this morning, but in time up to today, is this really the most wonderful time of the year for everybody? It seems to me, and I don't want to take the Mary out of our Merry Christmas this morning, but it seems to me that there's a tendency for this time of the year to be very stressful for us, even as Christians. There's this time of the year when we have a lot of expectations, and those expectations seem to get really exposed. Our hearts get really exposed during this time of year of what really matters to us and what's really important to us. And sometimes it ends up not being the most wonderful time of the year. And so I just thought, you know, let me talk about being content at Christmas and into 2023. Being content. This is like an exam. What are you looking to for your contentment? It's that yearly exam we all need. What am I looking for? Because you have a lot of expectations. There's people that were expecting to get uh, with relatives over the holidays and look at, they're stuck in airports right now. 
There were people that were planting things and their pipes have burst. And there were people that are frozen in and all those things, they had expectations. Think about your family traditions. You have these traditions and you want everything to be just right. And you want everybody to act just right. And you want everybody to be happy. And you get focused on those things and everybody in the family is not on the same page with you and they're not all making your day really what you anticipated. You want the food, you're going to want the food this afternoon in the right place and everybody in the right seat. See, this is what this time of year does. Exposes my heart. Your kids get sick. If you're not sick, I guarantee your kids are going to get sick. This is the time of the year. Kids get sick. That changes plans and expectations. There's challenges of a more serious nature. Families, family problems get exposed this time of year. Conflicts in families get exposed this time of year. Expectations. Maybe there's hurts from the past. Now you're still having to deal with, Christmas exposes that because of our expectations. Family, oh my goodness, the most wonderful time of the year. And I'm not feeling it. Painful hurts from the past. There's someone you want to be with this Christmas and you can't be with this Christmas. Or maybe you just got a bad medical report. <laughs> At Christmas time, I get this. Maybe it's something that you are it's very serious and it's just hard to be merry. It's just hard to be merry. Or you have aging parents and you're trying to, uh, what many in our church are trying to do right now, helping their aging parents and, and, and helping them to have a happy Christmas. And that's about to wear you out. The busyness of it all. And then some of you are going to sit down at a table this afternoon, or maybe you already have, and it's going to be grandma died this year, or grandpa died this year, and there's an empty chair at your table. <laughs> that memory is hard. It just highlights it, doesn't it? It highlights the loss of a loved one. And we could go on and on and on. And there's just so many potential issues that can keep you and will challenge you from being content. Will feed your discontentment. In fact, you live in a world like that. You live in a world that everything is geared towards making you feel discontent. You get... They want you to be unhappy in your present circumstances. Your, your job is geared that way. Your clothes are geared that way. Your car, your house. Even the world will make you think your wife is not good enough or your husband's not good enough. The place you live in is not good enough or whatever it is, this whole world is geared toward feeding discontent in us and Christmas highlights it it really does because it's the most wonderful time of the year and it doesn't feel like it 
ads are already starting to come out to make you feel bad about what, what you didn't get for Christmas and that you're lacking now and you need to run to the mall tomorrow and tomorrow and it's just like that isn't it so the, the, I'm just saying these things surface at this time of year when there's so expect, much expectation so the question is how do we respond when life makes it difficult for us to be content at Christmas and I think the answer is going to be, of course, we can remember the one who makes contentment possible. So why invaded our world? He looked at a world filled with discontent people. He came into this world. That Philippians 4 passage I just read to you is familiar. Verses 6 and 7 are talking about don't be anxious, but pray about everything. And then you come down to verse 11. Paul says, I do not speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Wow. That is your need this morning and my need. I need to learn this. I need to learn this. For Christmas, for 2023, for Valentine's Day, for my birthday, for that family vacation I'm going to have, for visiting relatives, whatever it is, I need this, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. We're talking about Christmas, so let's talk about being, so I've been talking about being content in Christmas, but it can be any time. I want you to know something, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is not writing, he's not sitting by a fire with chestnuts roasting, he's not in an easy chair, he's just sitting there writing this, and snow is outside on the ground, it's not that picture, postcard, Christmas card look at all, he is in a jail he is in a Roman prison writing this. It's dark and it's damp. He is chained to a Praetorian guard. House arrest. That is his circumstances. And it's amazing to me that Paul is writing this. <laughs> he had expectations. I had expectations I would go to Greece. I had expectations I would go to Spain. And now I'm in jail unmet expectations, circumstances I did not plan. And then he says in 112, he says, but you know what? My circumstances have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He says, my friends are becoming more bold because of my imprisonment. My enemies are glad I'm in prison, but they're still out there preaching the gospel. So regardless, I'm glad the gospel's being preached. And oh, and I'm, and I'm chained to this Praetorian guard. It changes the guard about every few hours. I get a new guy to share the gospel with. And so at the end of the letter, he says, I, those who are in Caesar's household greet you. In other words, even the gospel, the gospel's having an effect to the guy I'm chained to. I felt sorry for the guy that was chained to him. Paul, of all people. And so those are his circumstances. When he writes, I have learned whatever circumstance I'm in to be content. He's not a man that's saying, be happy like me. That is not what he is saying. Be happy like me. No. 
He's reminding us that we can be content in Jesus no matter what the circumstances are. And and no matter what this Christmas season looks like for you, whatever you're anxious about or not looking forward to or have already had to face, whatever fears, whatever uncertainties, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this and put, to say, put your contentment in this wonderful gift that I have given you, Lord Jesus. Contentment is defined several, I've read several different definitions. I'll give you a few of them. Here's one. Lack of anxiety, peace, confidence, and trust. Uh, one writer said, we, sometimes we think of contentment as indifferent stoicism. Putting on some kind of happy face for Jesus while inside we're hurting. If you're settling for that, he says, that's not contentment. That's not contentment. It's a heart issue. It's not an outward mask that we wear. It's opposite of coveting and anxiety. It's the opposite of coveting and anxiety. It's a spiritual stability system, one writer says. It's a spiritual stability system that smooths out all the ups and downs of varying circumstances in a broken world. Don't you feel like that sometimes? God, if I could just be instead of this. Contentment is that fine, is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wiser plan in every condition. Submits to God's wiser plan in every condition. That's a good definition. So let me give you some key things this morning from Philippians. And like I said, this works all year round, so don't just limit to Christmas. We've got 2023 right in front of us. See, our reactions reveal our lack of contentment. You understand that? Your reactions to things, when they don't go your way, they, re- they expose your lack of contentment. You see, the root of our discontentment, I'm going to show you that in just a moment, but it comes from within. I, I blow up at my wife. You blow up at your husband. Outburst of anger, because you don't get something you want. Things don't go the way you want them to go. You sulk, you, you complain, you go shopping, or you overeat. Just all these outward manifestations of a heart that is not content. Here's, a, here's the verse, you don't have to turn there, but James 4, 1 through 2. This is the source, this is the, the root of it. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures that which wage war in your members? You lust, you desire, and do not have. You are envious and cannot obtain. You fight and quarrel. You hear the words desire, craving, covetousness, expectation, lust, desire, not satisfied with uh, when things don't go the way I want them to happen. A broken expectation is all at the root of discontentment. And there's nothing wrong with wanting something. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's when these things become so important to you that I cannot be content without them. Then you have a problem. Then they become not just a desire, they become an inordinate desire. They become a controlling desire. They become something that masters you. You want it too badly. And it's good things a lot of times that you want too badly. 
It's just you're wanting it too much. That you just drive everybody around you crazy and drive people away from you, even though you can justify what you want as really being a true and good thing. It's a good thing to want a godly wife, a good thing to want a godly husband, but you want it too much to the point where you drive a person away from you and that you're willing to sin to get it by how you treat them and get angry with them when they don't do what you want. This is at the root of our discontentment, being controlled by those wants and coveting those desires and cravings too much. So how do we respond when things do not go the way we expect and, or hope they would? Or do we get angry and anxious or, and, or choose, and choose to be controlled by them? The Bible says this in Philippians 4, what we've been looking at. Look back there with me. The context Paul is writing, Philippians 4, he has received a gift from, he's received a gift, a financial gift from the Philippians and he writes them to thank them for that gift. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's expressing gratitude for the financial support. Hey, it's good to get money in the mail, he's saying. But you know what? <clears throat> I would still be content even if I didn't get your money. Notice what he says in 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now at last, you have revived your concern for me. I'm glad. Uh, you didn't have opportunity before you had it now. Verse 14. You have done well to share with me in my affliction. But I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in, verse 11 says. Whether I got it or not, I'd still be content. Because my contentment's not based on circumstances. And so he gives us some keys here. Let me see if I can run through some of these with you this morning. One, verse 11. You must, Christian, Christian, you must. This I'm just talking to Christians right now. You must understand God's process in our lives. You must understand this. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. Literally, I have learned by experience. This wasn't something that just happened. It's something that was developed over time. It was something that was developed by regular practice. Spurgeon says, it doesn't come natural to any of us. The only thing that's natural to you is complaining. That's what's natural. That's complaining. That's what's natural to all of us, myself included. We're just complainers. Contentment is not natural. Anyone here had to teach their kids to be a complainer? Um, excuse me. No, you didn't. A complainer? No. You don't have to. From the first day they screamed at you from the crib, they were complaining about something. Right? Here's an illustration. This is an illustration now. This did not happen in my house this Christmas, so don't tie it to that. But imagine this with me. Grandma, who has never been in a game store to buy a video in her life, decides she's going to go there to get her grandson, who likes videos, 
games. She decides she's going to go there to buy him a video game. And she, she's never been in the store before. She thinks she knows what he wants. She, she gets there. She fights the mall. She fights the crowds. She fights the traffic. She fights everything. She gets to the mall. She buys that video. Goes in that game store. Doesn't know what she's even looking for. Gets somebody to help her. Buys the get video game. Takes it home. Wraps it up puts it under the tree, and on Christmas morning, her grandson opens it and says, that's not what I wanted. That's the wrong one. And you would think, okay, I've got ideas for that grandson, but that's not the point. The point is you're just like that. You just don't do it that way. You don't say it like that. You think it. You're not satisfied. You are, you are thinking... I didn't get what I wanted, I didn't get my way. Philippians 2.14 says, 2.14 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. If you need a life verse, just use that one. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And the question is how we have to learn this. And and let me just tell you, you say, how do we learn it? And I I don't think this is going to be easy for any of us to hear because it's all things we've heard before, but it's a process to learn this. See, God puts us in unpleasant situations. He puts us in unplanned situations so that we can learn to be content. That's what he's going to do. You just need to get used to how God does things. This is his process. This is the only way. It's the process of learning to be content. Spurgeon calls it the college of contentment. The problem is many of us want to drop out. He says, no, you're in the college of contentment. He says that in his devotional. It's a college of contentment. But here's the verse, James 1, 2, and 4. You know this, you know this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's trials. That's testing. Listen, if you have true saving faith, that faith will continually be tested and proven to be real. And trials do that. Every Christian will experience that. All of us will experience that. Because God, you see, here's the point. Every Christian is in one of three places. You're either going into a trial, you're either in the midst of a trial, or you're coming out of a trial. Everybody, every one of you, myself included, we all go through that because that is God's process to teach us to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, Suffering and dealing with problems and struggles in life and unmet expectations and not getting my way and my pride being attacked and all of those things are God's way of conforming me to the image of Jesus. And you will not learn contentment any other way than to be put in those situations that are hard, unplanned for, and difficult. Jerry Bridges in his book, One of my favorite books, a book I recommend everybody to read, Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. Lots of great truths about the sovereignty of God, God's wisdom, God's love. He says, 
in light of those three things, he says, if you stop and think about it, most godly traits can only be developed through adversity. God in his infinite wisdom knows exactly what we need in order for us to grow more and more in the likeness of his son. He knows what we need and when we need it and the best way to bring it to pass in our lives, end of quote. And you think about Paul, that's what he did. Think about Paul, 2 Corinthians 6. In everything he says, we are servants of God. Notice this, much endurance. This is Paul now. This is Paul in every circumstance. This is Paul talking in every circumstance. He says, much endurance in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonment, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, sleeplessness in hunger, in broken water pipes, in traffic jams, in, in not getting my way. I added the last three, by the way. They're not in the Bible. But the point is you get the message. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Listen to chapter 12. Thorn in the flesh. God, please take away this thorn. God says, no. My perfected, excuse me, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. So that's Paul. <laughs> that's how he learned, learned to be content in all circumstances because he'd been through so many circumstances and he was taught to be content. How could, else could he have gotten to where he was? It was through all that adversity and to come out on the other side. See, we get, we get really soft in times of blessing. We really do. We, we tend to grow strong in times of adversity. That's, you know that. Here's Jerry Bridges again in his book. God knows exactly what he intends we become, and he knows exactly what circumstances, good or bad, are necessary to produce that result in our lives. God makes no mistakes. He knows infallibly, with infinite wisdom, what combination of good and bad circumstances will bring us more and more into sharing his holiness. His blending of adversity and blessing is always exactly right for us. So, understand God's process. Understand God's process in your life as a Christian. It takes time, and it can hurt. And John 15, pruning, I got a book by, jo by Joni Erickson Tata. Over the holidays, I've been reading it, and it's interesting. She talks about John 15, that pruning. When, when, a, when pruning happens, you see him cutting into, uh, cutting into a, 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 a plant to, to prune. It hurts, cutting, cutting. Sometimes it is painful, she says. And believe me, she knows. Second thing you see in verses 11 and 12, it's you got God's providence. You've got to really embrace God's providence. Uh, not that I speak from one, for I have learned to be content in everything. You see verse 11, in whatever circumstance I am. Um, then he starts to describe the ups and downs, good times and bad times. Some plans work out, others do not. Verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity in every any, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, having abundance and suffering need. You, you've got to embrace God's providence, friends. you just got to. You've got to understand providence. That's God's constant care for us. Constantly. He is constantly caring for us. He has absolute rule over us. He, his glory, he is working out his glory in our lives. He is working out his, our good in our lives. That is what God is doing in all of us. 
Bridges, again, says this in his book. Did your car break down when you could least afford the repairs? Did you miss an important meeting? Did you miss an important meeting because the plane was delayed due to mechanical problems? The God who controls the stars, <clears throat> the stars course, and their course also controls the nuts and bolts and everything on your car and planes. We must trust God to see that he is continually working at work in every aspect and moment of our lives. Nothing escapes God's care and control, he says, even viruses. Whatever situation we find ourselves in is God's design by appointment. That is the way God wanted it to happen. A Puritan author named Jeremy, or Jeremiah Burroughs said it this way. The, he wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. He said, contentment is the sweet inward quiet gracious frame of spirit that freely and delights in submitting to God's wise and fatherly get the word disposal in every condition what God disposes to us in any condition he says contentment is submitting to God and taking pleasure in God's allotment to you uh, doing whatever he wants to do in my life and submitting to that. He goes on to say, a contented heart sees the wisdom of God in everything. The Lord knows how to order things better than I do. The Lord sees further than I do. I can only see the present, but the Lord sees a great while from now. I gotta just understand God can do whatever he wants. And for some, he, for some reason, may not do what you want him to do. But it's his disposal. It's the allotment he wants to give to you. And there's, you say, well, well, for this to happen, I think two things are key. One, there's got to be humility. We've got to live with a heart that says, God, you know what's best. Rather than saying, I don't deserve this. That's what we say. I don't deserve this. I just don't, des I deserve better. Folks, that is your pride speaking. That is your pride speaking. What you deserve is hell. And anything you get less than that is good. Right? We all deserve hell. We don't want what we deserve. So no matter what happens to us, it's better than what we deserve. And faith, I've got to be convinced that God knows what is best for me. I need to understand his ways are above my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts. I don't want to lean on my own understanding. I want to trust him and acknowledge him in all my ways. Joni Erickson Tata, I mentioned her earlier. In 1967, she died in a diving accident. You understand that you were not died. She was, became a quadriplegic in a diving accident. You can't understand that limitation unless you're there. You cannot imagine what it's like not to be able to do anything for yourself. Anything. Think of everything you do for yourself. Every private thing you do for yourself. She cannot even do that. For the last five decades, that's been her life. Contentment, she says, is realizing that God has already given us everything we need for our present happiness. Think of the woman that is writing this. 
Contentment is realizing that God has already given us everything we need for our present happiness. It is, what, it is the wise person who doesn't grieve for the things they do not have, but rejoices over the things they do have. End of quote. If you, if you read in her biography or read anything she's written or seen anything or heard anything, she said she is truly an example of one who has been, power has been perfected in weakness. She is. She's amazing. God has used her. She paints by her mouth, using her mouth to paint. You know these stories. She started a ministry for disabled people all over the world, bringing hope, incredible things that she has done. A couple years ago, on top of everything else, she got diagnosed with breast cancer. She had surgery, and that went into remission. Well, then it came back. And here's what she said when the cancer came back. When I received the news about the cancer's return from my oncologist surgeon, I relaxed and I smiled, knowing that my sovereign God loves me dearly and holds me tightly in his hands. <laughs> Talk about not letting your cancer go to waste, as John Piper says. Then she says, what good is it when we only trust the Lord when he understands, when only Excuse me. What good is it when we only trust the Lord when we understand his ways? I only trust you, God, when I understand what you're doing. She says, no, that only guarantees a life filled with doubts. <laughs> Amazing. So, even in hopeless situations, we can learn contentment. She is certainly an example of that. So embracing God's providence, you've got you to know that all of those things that are happening are his providential care for me. He brings them to me. There's no surprises. He, he, he controls the stars, the course of the stars. He can control the actions that go on in my life. And then 413 is my next point. Look at God's power. We've got to trust God's power and rely on God's power. See that? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I just think this is the reason God became a man right here, because I, I need someone to come to my aid who understands me that's stronger than I and bigger than I. This is a well-known verse, but you know what? This is a very misused verse. It's a misquoted verse. It's a misunderstood verse. It's, it's misapplied. It's probably the most misapplied verse in the whole Bible. It's become the motto for success. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our team is going to win today because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I'm going to make a lot of money in my business. You know why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's become like a motto, a mantra. <laughs> you see it at sporting events, don't you? Philippians 4.13. Tim Tebow had it painted Philippians 4.13 painted on the side of his face when he used to play football back in the 2008, nine, I don't know when it was, but anyway, I don't keep up with that. Uh, that those years that he was doing that, but the point is, he had that on his, painted on his face. He did an interview, and in the interview, he said this. He said, most people think that I got it there because it means I'm going to go out there and just be successful in the field. They think, I got it there because I'm just going to make a lot of money or something. He says, no. He says, that's not what it's about. He said, it's saying that I can be content with anything. 
That's what it's saying. He says, when you are a Christian, you can be content because God has put you where you are. And, what is, and that, he says, that is a different view. I know I have Christ in me, Tim Tebow says. I know I have Christ in me, so I know I can do whatever he wants me to do. And that is how I approach everything. Listen, that's a really good interpretation of this verse for a gator. It really is. <laughs> it really is. That's good theology. That's good theology. I can do all things. I can have a quiet and contented heart. That's the context. I can have a quiet and contented heart that rejoices in my Savior in all circumstances. Why? Because he enables me to do that. That's the context of that verse. (laughs) It doesn't mean your team's going to win. It doesn't mean that. Or that your surgery is going to go well. It doesn't mean that. It's simply saying, the strength that Christ provides, he can, he, he can go through anything with me. That's God's will for me, for him. And verse 12, all the experiences, Paul could endure all the experiences of verse 12 because uh, Christ gives them, enables him to endure all those things and have joy. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you may be familiar with it. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. See, we can handle anything that God has ordained for us. We can handle it. We don't think we can. Joni Erickson Tata did not think that when she was laying in a hospital bed for two years realizing she was a quadriplegic. She didn't think that. We can handle whatever God has ordained for us by the strength that he provides. And we have to come to grips with that. We have to come to grips with the fact that contentment is not just difficult. Contentment is really impossible. Contentment is really impossible in our natural state. We are not, put, we are not wired that way. We are, we are wired to complain. We are wired to be discontent. But it's impossible for us, humanly impossible for us in our own strength to be content. See, the question, here's some practical ways. Here's some practical ways uh, to plug into Christ's strength because this is what we need, Christ's strength to do this. I haven't given, there's no formula here, other formula. This is just, I need to plug into Christ's strength. First, I need to abide in Christ. That's John 15. I need to abide in Christ. I need to be connected to the vine. And and you know what? Here's where you start. You start by confessing any sinful cravings that you have. You start by confessing those cravings that are mastering you, that are controlling you, those desires that may be good things, but you realize I want them too much. I'm willing to sin to even get those things. I will, I will burst out in anger at somebody if I don't get them, even though it might be a good thing. I've got to be willing to confess those things. I may just want them way too much. I need to confess them, admit them to God. 
Secondly, 1 Peter 5, 7, give your burdens to God. This is tough, but give your burdens to God. Keep this in mind, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your burdens on him, he cares for you. You are not wired to carry your burdens. You are wired to have burdens, but you're not wired to carry them. His yoke is easy. He can carry that for you. He wants to carry that for you. Be controlled or filled with the Spirit. He's given us the helper to indwell us. I realize the, realize the strength that He gives me through the Holy Spirit who indwells me. He enables me. The only reason you can live for Christ is because, as a Christian is because you've got the Holy Spirit living in you to live that life out. Depend on that, not yourself. It's like walking in obedience to Christ. Same thing. I think another thing is stay focused on Christ's example. The fixing your eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, 3. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the one who started our faith, the one who will end our faith, author and perfecter of faith. He will he, he, keep, fix your eyes on him. And, and develop an intimate relationship with Christ. That's just so key. That's just, I don't know, there's other things you could add to that. Look at Philippians 1.21. See that verse? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See 121? This is, this is an important verse on contentment, by the way. For me to live, you fill in the blank. For me to live is presence. For me to live is health. Good health. For me to live is money. For me to live is getting my way. You fill in, what is your this? What is your this? For me to live is this. What is your this? You fill in that blank. And I promise you, if it's anything other than Christ, God is going to do everything to knock those, whatever you, supports out from under you. Because he wants you to be, for me to live is Christ. And anything else you're attend, that you're giving your uh, trusting in, he's going to knock out those props. Anything you're using to prop yourself up that's not Christ, he loves us enough to thwart it, to take it away. He may give us what we want, when we want it, and that's great, and we should thank him for it, but most of the time, it's not going to be like that. Because he wants our life to be about Christ alone. For me to live is not, for me to live is to be comfortable is not a reason to live. It's about loving and living for Jesus. You can take all that away, Paul says. You can take all that away. All the comforts of life, all the provisions, everything away, and he would say, as long as I have Jesus, I'm good. I'm good. Look at 14 and 17. Uh, this is a, I think this is important. This you see in the Apostle Paul. Paul was never focused on Paul. Paul was focused on other people. This is very important to contentment. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. He's talking to the Philippians. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I 
seek the gift itself. But notice this. This is what Paul sought. More than that gift, he sought this. I seek for the profit which increases your, to your account. I am thankful for the benefit you're going to receive because of this gift that you gave to me. Your spiritual advancement is more important to me than even getting that gift. You see, Paul was focused on people. And you know this, I'm not telling you something you don't know, but it's, it's just common knowledge. If you just sit around focusing on your problems, on your broken expectations, your unrealized dreams, and your unrealized desires, on your trials and your tribulations, you're going to get miserable. And you're not going to be content at Christmas. Sometimes when I'm talking to somebody or counseling somebody who's, who tells me they're, they're depressed, and I, you know, I might say something like this, you know, part of your problem, and I'm not saying it's everything. There are other issues there going on, I know. But he says, one thing you don't want to do is get self-absorbed. You do not want to get so self-absorbed that you're only thinking about yourself and your problems and your issues, and you need to stop having a pity party, which is actually a pride party because you're just looking at yourself all the time and thinking about yourself. Get involved in other people's lives. That's what the church is about. It's us ministering to others. Do not look out for your own interest. We read that earlier. Do not be selfish, but consider others more important than yourself. This is key. Paul was concerned about others. The reason he didn't get angry and bitter towards his enemies who were glad he was in jail back in chapter 1, because the gospel was being preached. People were coming to Christ. That mattered more to him than any personal hurts he was experiencing because his enemies were glad he was in prison. Here's a great psalm. I came across this the other day. Psalm 131.2. In fact, turn to it. We got time. Turn to it. Psalm 131 verse 2. I don't know what translation you have. This is New American Standard that I'm reading from. It's just one verse. Psalm 139 verse 2. Now, is your hand still in Philippians, by the way? This really relates to this verse. I didn't read. Let me read this verse. Because you've got to trust in God's promise is my point here. But in Philippians 4, 18 and 19, and the point here would be, I think a key thing here is that God makes promises to us and we just got to trust him in his promises. You see that in verses 18 and 19. I have received everything in full and have abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That verse is about your wants, not your wants, but your needs. They'll provide what you need, not what necessarily what you want. And sometimes, he, like I said earlier, he does graciously fulfill desires but, and give us what we want. But when he doesn't, we still trust him. We still must trust him, even when we want something and he doesn't give that to us. And this verse in Psalm 131, verse 2, is about trust. It's a, it's a great verse on trust. Psalm 131, verse 2. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Does that not sound like contentment right there? Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. 
compares it to a weaned child resting against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. All right, just reflect. Reflect. Women know this better than men, for sure. But think about it. The weaning process. Moms, uh, a mother knows at some point her child needs to depend on other foods and stop weaning and stop the weaning process. That can be a very painful process for the baby, can be a painful process for the mother. It's a painful thing to do what's best for the baby. It's painful. Painful for baby, painful for mom. The weaning process. There's something the baby just starts, the baby has a tantrum when the mother starts doing this. The baby wants milk from the mother. The, baby, the baby's screaming for what it wants. And what it, the baby, though the baby may not express this, the baby is like saying, I can't live without that. I must have that. I crave that. I want that. I need that. I must have it. I must have it. I must have it. And they scream and scream and scream. Until at some point, at some point, after the mother feeding the other foods, the baby realizes that I can live without that. I'm not saying this is all in the baby's mind, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying you see how it applies to us. And what does he do? Like a weaned child resting against his mother. The child went through all of that. I couldn't live with all that. Now I trust this, my mother. I trust my mother. I lay my head against my mother who put me through all that, but she knew what was best. I just rest my head against her. I'm content. I thought I couldn't live without those things, but I can. I trust my mother knows best. That's the trust we're called to. Sometimes we fight and fight and fight and, and thinking that's something I can't do without, I can't do without, only to see God deprive me of it and then get down the road and realize Wow, I thought I needed that, but I really didn't. <laughs> that's, that's a powerful truth to me. Beautiful picture of a child of God learning to be content, to mature, to be weaned off of certain things. That's what God's doing, weaning me off of certain things. Weaning me off of things that keep me from saying, for me to live as Christ. Here's a scary prayer we can pray into the new year. Lord, I am willing to receive what you give and lack what you withhold and relinquish what you take. Lord, I am willing to receive what you give, lack what you withhold, and relinquish what you take away from me. <laughs> That's a scary prayer. That's trust. And then finally, verse 20, now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever, sing praises to God. Rejoice in the Lord. You know something, that is a choice. Rejoicing is a choice. I can choose to rejoice or I can choose to complain. I can choose to be thankful, I can choose to be unthankful. When we think about all that God has done and provided and guided and all that stuff, you know, it's, it's like, Paul breaks out now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Job said it this way, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The psalmist says, no matter the situation, I will praise you. The first time Paul came to Philippi earlier, um, he was thrown into prison. And what were they doing at night? They were singing praises to God. 
So no matter what's going on, we can praise God and give glory to God. All realizing that all the circumstances of life, all those circumstances that I can be content in come from God. I didn't get, you don't get there overnight. You don't get, it's a process, you know that. But we want to get there and we want to give him glory. It's only possible that Jesus, if you're not a Christian here this morning and you listen to me talk and say these things, listen, you can't do any of this without Christ. We as Christians struggle enough with this. But for the unbeliever, you have every reason to be discontent because you're separated from a holy God. You're not in a right relationship with God. Your sin, you, you're under the judgment of your sin. And it's not until you put your faith and trust in Christ who came into this world to die for your sin, to take your place in being put on a cross and the wrath of God being poured out on him when it should be poured out on you. It's not until you've placed your faith in what Christ did on that cross that you even understand what Christmas is all about, what Easter is all about. It's not until you put your faith and trust in him. That would be our invitation to you if you're not a believer this morning, that you would put your faith in Jesus and trust him. These things I've shared this morning on contentment are only possible because Christ gives us that contentment. And it's as we look to him and are able to look to him. Unbelievers can't, but believers can. It's only when we look to him for that contentment we find it. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for these words. Thank you for these truths that we've looked at. It's a lot of stuff this morning, God's been said. Certainly not your normal Christmas message that many came here probably to hear this morning. But I think we all need it. I need it. I need it, God. This is dealing with the deepest part of my heart and every heart in this room. This hits us, God, where we really live. I can sing the carols and I can sing all the great songs and I can put on the smiling face and I can say Mary a hundred times this season, hundreds of times this season. And I can sing what a wonderful time of the year it is and it not be that way. Because I know, God, in my deepest recesses of my heart, I'm not content. I'm not content with the circumstances you've handed me. You've dealt me. I want you to do better for me. I want you to change things rather than accept what you've brought as your will for me, as your allotment for me, as your plan for me. Not comparing it to somebody else, but that's what you brought for me. God, bring us all to that point where we can say, I have learned to be content in every circumstance. May we all be moving in that direction. As we come into a new year, God, may we make that our goal, our desire. To understand your process, trials and unplanned situations and difficult situations, your providence, and relying on your power, trusting your promises, and singing and rejoicing, even when we don't feel like it. We just thank you and love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.